from Philippians 4, verses 10 through 13. So please follow along. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Amen. Well, that was a great worship time today. What a way to honor Christ. I'm going to talk about something that I've been struggling with over this last year. There's been a lot of changes in our lives. And when you have that kind of upheaval, you have to rediscover things that you knew maybe in a different context. And you have to find how they work in a new situation. And it's in the passage that we just read. Father, we thank you for your word. We say with Peter, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. It's that simple. Uh, there's nothing else we could think of doing on a Sunday morning than to come together and to worship you and to listen to your word because you have the words of life. We could not imagine our life without your words. They're that important to us. And we want to see how these words impact us. We don't want to make excuses. We don't want to say, yeah, but in my situation, it's, it really doesn't apply. These words do apply to us. And uh, so we want to just come before you obediently and pay attention. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In my previous two messages, I emphasized the importance of developing healthy habits, like gratitude in everything with thanksgiving. And listening, Mary has chosen what is better. This morning, I'd like to focus on another healthy habit, but I can't tell you what it is, because it's a secret. I guess I don't even need this mic, do I? I got that one. So, I'll let Paul tell you. You've heard it already. Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Now, Paul doesn't say, I've learned the secret of being complacent. There's a big difference between complacency and contentment. Complacency is a defeat. Contentment is a very significant victory. And do you know about this secret? Have you ever seen an example of all-inclusive contentment? I mean, is this even possible? Because we live in a culture that aggressively promotes discontentment. 
Our national anthem is that song by a group called Avalanche, although you may know them by their other name, the Rolling Stones. You've heard the song all together now, I Can't Get No. Exactly, that's what our society is all about. Corporations spend billions of dollars to make us discontent. They don't like contented people because they don't buy anything. You have a 24 megapixel camera? Are you kidding? You need to get a 24.3 megapixel. You only have a 60 inch widescreen TV. What's wrong with you? You need to upgrade to 70 inches. Advertisers keep reminding us day after day that our hair isn't shiny enough and our lashes aren't long enough and our teeth aren't white enough and our abs aren't firm enough. And so our cities are filled with maddening crowds who run from store to store and from job to job and from church to church. We migrate from marriage to marriage looking for a better deal. I know you're out there somewhere. We have learned the secret of being discontent in any and every situation. Now, I will admit that discontentment can be beneficial in the right context. It's actually one of the keys to progress. Because someone became discontent with the aromatic abominations of the outhouse, we now have indoor plumbing. God bless the discontented. In fact, discontentment can even be spiritually healthy. It keeps us from becoming lethargic and mediocre. We should be discontent with our lame excuses and our bad habits. Otherwise, we will never grow past the place we are at right now. Discontentment can spur us on towards love and good works. In the same letter, Paul even said, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which Christ has called me heaven, or God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul was purpose-driven by a single passion, to spread the gospel, the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ alone. And from a business perspective, establishing local franchises of the New Testament church throughout the Roman Empire against fierce opposition with limited personnel and meager resources has to be one of the greatest <clears throat> success stories in the history of human enterprise. And Paul did all of that without any coffee or Red Bull or steroids. He just kept going because he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. So why would this dedicated, dynamic missionary who was turning the world upside down identify contentment as one of the greatest secrets that he'd learned in his entire life? I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Now, I know how to be content, but I need a certain kind of situation, don't you? I mean, there's been times in my life when everything just was working out, and I actually was content for a day or two, and then something happened, and it wasn't quite the same. I want to figure out what Paul is talking about here, because he says 
He has found a way to be content in any and every situation. I want to know about that. Well, maybe it's easy for Paul to say that because he doesn't have our problems. You should see my husband. My parents are hopeless. Well, Paul would probably see your objection and raise you death row in a Roman dungeon. Because the author of these words was facing the worst circumstances of his entire life. Even from a quality of life perspective, the food was lousy, the clothes were uncomfortable, the bed was awful, the lighting was terrible, the stench was unbearable, and there was no Wi-Fi. Some of you can't stand 10 minutes without texting somebody. Poor Paul, he was chained to a Roman guard 24-7, and they were cruel and obscene men. If there was ever a time when Paul could have felt sorry for himself, this was it. Putting a free spirit like Paul into a dungeon would be like stuffing an eagle into a canary cage. Ambitious people have real trouble with restrictions and confinement. But Paul did not have a nervous breakdown. Instead, he learned a secret that gave him victory in the worst circumstances of his life. And I want to know what that is. You see, for many years, discontentment has been my default setting. To be honest, if I was in control of my life, my circumstances would look very different than they do now. If I was in control, I wouldn't need to take sleeping pills every night. I wouldn't have this terrible skin condition every winter. If I was in control, my oldest son would not have walked away from God, and my youngest son would not have gotten into crystal meth. If I was in control, our three boys would be living near enough so that we could have them over for Sunday dinner and we could look after our grandchildren every week. If I was in control, my wife would have not gotten rheumatoid arthritis, and my nephew's daughter would not have been born with half a heart. And if I was in control, I would be living as far away from winter as possible. I could keep on going. I have a long list. And whatever happened to my eyebrows? You know, we all have lots of admissible evidence that life isn't fair. It didn't turn out the way we wanted it to. And there are times when we almost feel like suing God for malpractice. Thanks a lot. That's a, another fine mess you've gotten me into. My life does not look anything like I'd hoped it would. And I pointed that out. I've been to the complaint department. I've filed the grievances. I thought maybe if I grumbled long enough, God would give in and offer me a better deal. But he hasn't. Didn't work. So I'm doomed to be just another one of God's unsatisfied customers. Except for one thing. I am on a health kick. And I'm especially interested in developing healthy habits. And I've realized how powerful contentment is. You see, contentment is one of the most effective antidotes, not only to things like disappointment and greed, 
but it's very effective against frustration and depression and anger and lust and greed and fear, not to mention obsessive compulsive disorders. And this is not like those medicines that they advertise on TV where they claim they can clear up your skin, but then there's this disclaimer, in some cases it may cause leprosy. <laughs> Loss of eyebrows may also result. You don't want to take that kind of a risk. The good news is that contentment has absolutely no harmful side effects. I have learned the secret of being content in any in every situation. You know, it, it is okay to ask God to change your circumstances. I've done that thousands of times. The book of Psalms is full of people asking God to change their circumstances. We should always, for example, pray for healing, obviously, because God does heal. But what happens when there is no miracle? What happens when there is no healing? What happens when the prayer is not answered the way we'd like? Paul pleaded with God to uh, remove his thorn in the flesh because it had become a painful torment to him. I'm just going to let this hang. But God said in his crisis, there would be no healing. Instead, Paul was given the opportunity to experience contentment in God's sufficient grace. Paul could have been very content if God would have healed him. But God said, let's, let's give you contentment in my sufficient grace this time and see how that works. So what is Paul getting at here? How does this actually work? What is the secret of contentment? Well, here it is, verse 13. Paul says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. This is what Paul's contentment was based on. The King James Version says, I can do all things through Christ. The secret of contentment has to do with Jesus Christ. For Paul, Christ had become the most important part of his life. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 8, he talks about this. He says, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Compared to Christ, none of it None of the other stuff mattered. So what about us? What's more important? Is it Christ or is it having favorable circumstances? Which would you choose? Which has the greater impact on us? It's like getting two letters on the same day. The first one is from your friendly neighborhood photographer who took this really nice picture of your license plate. It's well composed, it has good resolution, and he wants $150 for it. That's not asking too much. But something like that can ruin my whole day. I, I turn into the incredible sulk. A photo radar citation impacts us emotionally, and there goes our sanctification. 
It makes me want to renounce this cruel world and become a mystic. But there's also this second letter. You open it and it says that you have inherited $20 million tax-free from some distant Eastern European relative, some count in Transylvania. $20 million, and there's no survey to fill out. It's not a scam. Now, a letter like that also impacts us emotionally. It also registers on the Richter scale. In fact, wouldn't that inheritance make you forget about the speeding ticket? Which has the greater impact in your life? That's the point that Paul is making in Romans 8, 18, when he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The glory that will be revealed when Christ, who began the good work, brings it to completion. For us here on earth, suffering is a really big deal. In fact, if you're suffering, nothing else matters. Unless you also have Jesus Christ. Suffering is a big deal, but Jesus is even bigger. How much bigger? Well, we don't know because Paul said you can't compare them. That is the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. And I've heard that testimony as well from others. I've heard it from people who are dying in cancer wards. I've heard that testimony annually at the Voice of the Martyrs Conference from believers who have endured great persecution. I consider our present sufferings not worth comparing to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, comparing it with the glory that will be revealed. There is no comparison. And that's why Paul was able to find his contentment in Jesus Christ. Paul must have spent a lot more time thinking about Christ than I do. That's what I need to do. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And you know what that verse means? That verse means that I don't have to be in control. Some people are only content when they're in control of their lives. But they realize soon that to reach that goal, they not only have to control their situation, they have to start controlling the people around them. So they have to start manipulating them by bribes or by blaming. In fact, ultimately, you, to control your situation, you have to pretty well run the universe. Now, it is much easier to be content when you're in control. But I say to you, if that's your approach, good luck with that. Because I lost control of my circumstances in about, uh, I think it was 1992, it was probably November. That was the time when our worship leader committed suicide. No one saw that coming. And then it got even more stressful. And I tried many times after that to try to get my life back under my control. And I almost made it until someone informed me that my son was smoking marijuana. I did not see that coming. 
You see, that's the problem. I don't have the gift of prophecy. I can't prepare for the next disaster. I don't even have time to get my deflector shields up. But I don't have to because there is a better alternative. Paul says, I can do everything through Christ, through him who gives me strength. But Paul, what are you saying? You're chained to a Roman guard. You can't do anything. You have no opportunities to spread the gospel. Now, the enemy has you in check. Have you been there when the enemy places you in check? It's a chess term when it's like you've got one move left or there's the, the next move is your last. You're going to be defeated. You're just one move away from total hopelessness. Check. But it's, check is not the end. Paul, the enemy has you in check. What are you going to do? What move are you going to make now? Are you kidding? This was just part of God's brilliant plan. Paul had never been more strategically placed. He was now in the heart of the Roman Empire. He was chained to Praetorian guards. These were the sons of the aristocracy. God said, Paul, I, I have an idea. I have a plan. I want to bring the future senators and generals of Rome into your cell and have them sit beside you for several hours a day. The rest is up to you. Can you imagine someone being chained to Paul for six hours and not getting saved? Talk about a captive audience. This was the best witnessing opportunity Paul ever had. You didn't have to look for people to listen to you. They were right there. That's why we read in chapter 4, verse 22, all the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. How did the saints get into Caesar's household? Checkmate. God made another move that changed everything. No one saw that coming. You see, our circumstances do present a problem because they keep us from fulfilling our dreams, but they cannot hinder God from accomplishing his will. And that is far more important. In fact, in that prison, Paul had time to catch up on his thank you notes and then also to write letters to the churches like, I think it was Philippians, Ephesians, and North Corinthians. I can't remember all of them, but he wrote a bunch of letters. If he was a free man traveling across Asia and Europe, he would have not had time to do all this writing and for 20 centuries since then, lives of countless believers have been enriched and encouraged by those prison letters. I can't imagine what my life would be like if the book of Philippians did not exist. Paul says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. So we don't have to be in control because God is in control. In fact, if you were in control, it might represent a conflict of interest. It's much better to let God exercise his sovereignty. Of course, it means when God, when God is in control that your circumstances won't necessarily improve. They might, but they might not. What it means is that you will have unlimited opportunities to experience the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. 
and you will be able to do absolutely everything that God wants you to do. And I can prove it. There's a verse that I found. I don't think it was in the Bible before, but somebody kind of snuck it in because I didn't see this one before. And then a couple years ago, there it is, right in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Never noticed it before. Chapter 9, verse 8, where it says this. This is incredible. Just, just try to wrap your head around this. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Isn't that powerful? All grace, all things, all times, all that you need. So you can abound in every good work. You should read that verse every single day when you're feeling sorry for yourself. This is in effect every single day of your life. And while you're doing that, God is also up to something good. We all know Romans 8, verse 28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. You see, this is valid for those who love him. So if you get bitter and disappointed, it's not going to work the same way. Don't ever lose your love. For those who love him and who are called according to his purpose, God makes all things work together for the good, it says in the King James. You see, God has a specific set of skills. He can make all things, even our worst circumstances, work together for good. That's what happened to Paul in that Roman prison. God can make all things work together for your good. You realize that no one else could give you that kind of a guarantee or promise? If you had the entire resources of the Pentagon, if you had the assets of OPEC, if you had the Supreme Court at your disposal, that would not guarantee that all things would work together for your good. Only God can make that happen through Jesus Christ. The secret of being content is to properly appraise the surpassing value of having Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And that should not be just a momentary epiphany. That has to be developed into a habit. It's like beginning every day with the joy of your salvation, salvation that was only achieved through Jesus. It's being grateful for every blessing, no matter how small. It's enjoying the presence of the one who will never leave you or forsake you. And it's regularly reviewing his resume. Like in Colossians 1, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. And then Philippians says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that is the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What a resume. That's just a small sample. He is definitely overqualified to handle my concerns. 
Did you realize when you have Jesus Christ, you have absolutely everything God can possibly give you? He can't give you more than that. And if that doesn't make you content, nothing ever will. Don't underestimate Jesus and find your contentment in him. Contentment is being able to say, ah, life is good. But it's also being able to say, life is lousy, but God is up to something good. One more verse, 1 Timothy 6.6, in a modern translation says, winning the lottery is great gain. Actually, the original translation says there's two things that constitute great gain. And here they are. The first is godliness. Not worldliness, but godliness. And for the second, Paul could have used many things. He could have said faith. He could have said love. He could have said joy. Instead, he wrote, godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, all of us are interested in great gain. Great gain is like 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Whenever we go to the bank, we get depressed because they're offering us a half a percent, you know, that kind of stuff. We're not getting a lot of gain out of our deposits. Now, if I told you there was a bank that would offer you 30% for your savings, would you be interested? I mean, that would be amazing. Who makes that kind of profit? That would be great gain. Well, the Bible says godliness and contentment is great gain. And that contentment does not come from being in control. It comes when you daily affirm the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus your Lord and acknowledge that you can do everything that God wants you to do through him who gives you strength. So, do you want to know a secret? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. There's no other way we would have found this out. They don't tell us this anywhere else. We don't learn about it in school or read about it in our newspapers. It's never emphasized on the news. The only place we see your word so clearly revealed is in, of course, the scriptures. And Lord, we want to live a life that becomes more and more the life that you've created to, for us to live to do your will, to do everything you want us to do. There's nothing more exciting than that. That is the greatest adventure of all. And it's the greatest victory. Lord, teach us how to be content in any and every situation because we understand the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Um, we'll just sit quietly for a couple of minutes and think about that.